Episode 70 of No Guitar is Safe featuring the magical Adrian Leg is brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. What's up, everybody? Just flew the chopper to the Tower Theater Lounge in Fresno, California to catch the magical stylings of one of my favorite players on planet Earth, Adrian Legg. He turns the guitar into an orchestra. It's an hour before sound check, and we're on the stage here. So cool. I'm so honored that they fit us into Adrian's schedule today here in Fresno to do this interview and put you right in front of him. If you're not already, by the end of this, probably in the next 10 minutes, you're going to be a total leghead, as in an Adrian leghead. He's also on tour right now all over the uh, kind of the western half of the United States, from California to Washington, Oregon, Texas, New Mexico. He's also got a new double live album out, Adrian Leg Live. Dig it. It's just amazing. And there's a lot of cool um, in-between stuff on there, too, stories and tips he puts on a wonderful show. Ladies and gentlemen, voted the best fingerstyle guitar player by the readers of Guitar Player Magazine at least four years in a row, Adrian Leg. Adrian, thanks for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Jude. Thank you. I noticed that you often start your shows, as you said, and now it's become a superstition with one particular song. Maybe you could tell us about that song and maybe play yes. a little bit for us right now as to open this episode of No Guitar is Safe. Yes. Uh, it, was, uh, it was called Midwest Sunday because I wrote it in Gloucestershire, which is about as Midwest as you can get in England before you're in Wales. It just seemed a nice way to ease into a show because it's out of tempo at the start and you can kind of feel for the room and feel for the gear and see what's going wrong. And nobody's quite sure if you started or not, so if something's wrong, you can stop and fix it, you know. So it's kind of like that. Yeah, you're the master of kind of tuning while you're telling a story. It all becomes part of the experience. I remember I saw Jackson Brown do that once at the Bill Graham tribute concert after Bill Graham passed away. He was talking to the crowd and tuning and it was like music. Yeah. And then the song just began. And that's something I've noticed that you do really brilliantly as well. Uh, I, I guess the open tuning thing didn't really work for me initially because tuning, retuning, you've got people sitting there and they don't want to sit there watching you faff around getting back in tune. And it really came together for me with the Keith pegs, I guess, somewhere in the mid 70s these they're preset they're four to one banjo pegs and they're preset tunings and i knew they existed because i'd always listened to banjo players but i couldn't find them in england and um, i was going around all the shops asking about them they all thought i was just some kind of weirdo and would throw me out or something you know. <laughs> eventually i did a, a trade show demonstrating guitars at one of the british music fairs and i saw them on the wall of a company called stentor they put up their display wall and i saw one on there and i knew what it was right away i'd never seen them but I knew what it was and what it did so I, I went in to see them and I said you know that Keith peg you've got on the wall and they said what Keith peg 
And I said, the one that, where you reset the buttons. And they said, oh, you mean the Scruggs peg? I said, no, it's not a Scruggs peg. Thanks. So you saw it on the wall, and then they didn't, so they didn't really know what they had. It's like they had one of these magical powered things, and they didn't even know what it was, but you knew what it was. was. I don't think they were selling many, uh, and they were puzzled. But, and eventually, once we'd established um, what it was, and that I knew what it was, and there was one on the wall, they said, well, what about it? I said, where's the other one? And they said, what do you mean, where's the other one? I said, well, they come in pairs. I bet when you set up, you put all the stuff in to come to the show, you pulled whatever you wanted out of the box and then threw all the boxes behind the back of the stand somewhere. So somewhere in that pile of stuff is a box with another one of those pegs in it. So I said, oh, right, oh. And they went and looked and fumbled around in the pile and sure enough, they found it. They said, oh yeah, there is. What about it? I said, can I have it? And they said, what do you mean, can you have it? I said, I'll put it on my guitar and I'll waggle it through the show. And whenever anybody says, what's that? I'll send them over to see you. They said, okay. So I put it on the guitar and it was great. And they loved it. They came around to see what was going on. They loved it. So they found some more. By the end of the show, I had all six. We kind of blagged them and scrounged them and waggled them and, you know, had a load of fun. But they weren't the actual Keith Peggs. I didn't realise at the time. They were Charla copies. I was playing in this funny Sunday band that was kind of bluegrass and avant-garde jazz and all kinds of weird stuff. And there was a banjo player there. And the band leader said to me, he saw I got the pegs, he said, don't tell Joe, I'll get him to do Flint Hill. When it comes around to your solo, you do the pegs as well and see what happens. So Joe piled through Flint Hill special and it came to my solo and I did it with the banjo pegs and he, he nearly fell over, he was jumping up. What's that? What's that? What have you got? Where'd you get them? So can you show us a little bit of what you did on that night with those pegs? Uh, Flint Hill. Because some people have never heard these before. Yeah, let me get a bit more, get some reverb off. Yeah, Flint Hill, the, the banjo peg goes like. etc. Beautiful. Maybe a little Midwest Sunday. Uh, yes, Midwest you, Sunday. It's just such a signature part of your sound, too. Well, it's a great warm-up. Oh, I see what you mean, the pegs, yeah. They, that opened the door to tunings, because I could go on stage and I could just reset the tunings without bothering the audience, and uh, it was the key to the whole thing. That and the ovation pickup, they were keys to getting on stage. And now, of course, when I first saw you in the 90s, I was like... I had no idea those tuners had little settings right. that you could, I just thought, wow, he has magical powers. He can turn the peg exactly the right amount, the, regardless uh, of the string tension on all the different <laughs> strings. <laughs> I did a clinic tour for ovation um, pretty much right off the bat when I first came over to the States. And I didn't think, I just used the pegs. I didn't think about it. And uh, there are all these guitar players sitting there with their mouths open, not understanding what was going on. And there'd be a banjo player down the back of the room laughing his head off, who knew exactly what was happening. <laughs> Banjo's revenge. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Midwest Sunday.
so sweet, man. I just love it. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. That was worth the drive right there, I tell you. Oh, good. I love it. But, of course, I mean, you do so much more than just that amazingly soulful tuner technique that you do there. Now, something I love about your playing, too, is you're stealing those country bends. And yeah. I guess that's kind of a pun because they're like pedal steel. They're steel bends. Yeah. <laughs> pedal stealing, my brother. Yeah. Could, could you show us a couple of those yeah. approaches? I can play you a tune made yeah, of Yeah, what would you like to play? They started um, in the country bands. <clears throat> it was in the Liverpool Social Clubs and uh, we were playing country stuff and we didn't have a steel player. I think there was only two steel players in Liverpool at the time. So I needed to do the steel solos and I actually really liked the sound of steel guitar. I, I love those, uh, those changes within uh, uh, I think. So I've always done them. Uh, what's this one called? Uh, this is a doorbell song.
awesome. I'll, I'll get it in tune tonight before the people come in. <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here for, to help you get it all dialed. <laughs> this is your extended sound check. Yep. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Uh, they're, uh, they're based on two or three shapes. Uh, there's, uh, you can come from the top. Then there's the ones from underneath. Could you do that sequence again? That's just too amazing. Those ones, all the low ones, all on the first finger. It's just a matter of being able to pull it in tight. Um, that was the difficulty first off. It hurt a lot, but now it's no problem at all. Yeah, it's like a B bender, except for that's a yeah, G string. Yeah, you, you don't normally grip anything that tight. So yeah, you're just you're pulling the G string to the floor. Yeah, towards the floor. So it's all based off that C shape, if you like. Yeah, it's like a, kind of like a C, C chord. So we can pull it up to F from... And that's, that was on the fifth, fourth, and third strings. Yeah, C to F. That's beautiful. So you're pulling the, the third over it, uh, and you're hammering the, uh, the fourth uh, from the E onto the F. Yeah. At the same time as you're pulling. And you've got a note going on, you've got the C going on underneath. So you hope nobody notices the hammer on. That's and true. You get the sound of a, of a typical pedal change on and a And you do that same sort of sneaky trick with a, like a, I would describe it as the open D major triad kind of shape, but oh, maybe yeah. you're doing it up in the neck. Oh, here. Like, so now that you're on the top three strings. Yeah. So you can go from D to G. Ah, uh, yeah. So you're pushing you can, the. Yeah. Or you this can time just you're pushing the first. This time again, it's the third string. But now you're pushing the third string up towards the ceiling. Yeah. And then you hammer on your pinky. Yeah. You can get a tone and a half usually. And the, the C-shaped one goes to a minor as well. You can go to F minor. That's so sweet. I'm making a cell phone video of questionable quality here of this, but you guys got to see this shit. <laughs> but you can, you can take that C-shape and move it around so you can come back to the G and get a G+. Plus. Or you can add on to it, augment it. 
then the minor. That's a seventh. So it's a really flexible kind of system. You're a sneaky cat, Adrian. Yeah, you can get it all out of one or two shapes. You know. <laughs> but there's a bit of pain in the first finger at first, but it soon settles. Now, I would love to ask you about, I mean, I think it's an overlooked musical form, but the stuff you do with waltzes is just transcendent. Like, most people think, yeah, waltzes. Oh, they're nice. Oh, my gosh, the stuff you do. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, maybe we'll take a listen to one of your album tracks. Waltzing with Jesus. Oh gosh, I've forgotten all about that. It's so beautiful. It sounds like you're doing a waltz with a slide, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, jacked up the, the action and played it with a slide now. There are so many beautiful waltzes. Maybe you'd like to honor us with a little bit of Wh one of your waltzes. waltz? How about anything, um, anything you want? Yeah. Okay. I'm just in heaven watching you play this stuff. And oh, I could do Nora's because that's got bends in it as well. But we just did a bendy one in D. But Nora's is kind of nice. People like them. As you tune up, I'm watching you. I've truly never seen anyone with your pedal technique here. You've got. A pedal board with about 11 or 12 pedals on, maybe 10 pedals. Yes, A 20. lot of mini pedals, a couple yes. big ones, yes. including a little TC tuner, some of that kind of stuff. But That will all fit under the seat in front as required by plays. And But the great thing is that, and I've never seen anyone but you do this, is that you operate them all with your toes. You play in, <laughs> you play in socks. You take off your shoes when you play. Yes. Well, we and had to do that anyway when we worked with dancers. You can't go on a, a dance stage with shoes. You either have to wear jazz shoes or you go on in your socks. And it's kind of liberating going on stage without shoes on. It's, but I, ne I need that toe. And this sock, damn it, is just <laughs> going through because I had to grow that big toenail so I could get that switch there. And Are you back. serious? You have a toenail just for the switch? On yes. your, I have that same pedal. Is that the SP compressor? Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> that's, the, that's the exotic? Yes. SP compressor and I know the little switch has got three settings yes and that's why you have a toenail yes <laughs> you're killing me <laughs> I used to keep that toenail really short so I could push it forward but I had to reach down to turn it back so I thought well if I grow the toenail I should be able to and it works now you can go back <laughs> that's awesome yeah. I'll do Nora Handley's waltz because that's, uh, that's got the steel licks in as well if you can get the tempo right that might be it 
He's not tapping the tempo, folks. He's changing the tempo with, you <laughs> guessed it, his <laughs> toe. big toe. I found that tap tempo was so erratic, I was better off doing it with my toe. Than, <laughs> you know, it's just as much a kerfuffle, isn't it? All right, let's see if I can remember this. It's been a while. Okay, fingers crossed.
bit scabby, but there we go. I can't believe, yeah, you could pull that out. Like, these pieces are so involved, and, you know, just to pull them out and just play them like that is it's crazy. Um, get somewhere near. When I watch you play that, I'm just like, because I've messed around a little bit with those kind of bends, and I'm just like, oh, I just got to do it. My first technical thought is, is that a 25 and a half inch scale like my Telecaster, which is probably the first guitar I would try doing it with nines, or are you a little... I bet your frets are low. You have high frets? Yeah. And then yeah. is that, what scale length is that? Uh, 24 and a half, I think. So that makes it a little more bendy. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. so people, don't hurt yourselves doing that, like a tens on a floating well, trim you, strap. you can do it, but your joints will go. Um, if you do it too long, your joints will go. I mean, the problem I have now is 70-year-old hands. They're starting to, uh, the joints are all starting to cave in. They're still clear. I had an x-ray recently after uh, an accident, and the joint gaps are still good. But it's still wear and tear, you know. I mean, if you're 20 or 30 or something like that, go for it. But Well, you're a lifer. I mean, you are... You would be doing this no matter what, no matter where. I used to use tens. I used tens for a long time on the um, on the Adamus, and that was twenty-five and a quarter that scale. And it was all right. It's not a problem, but it's just it, think long term. Well, I'd like to still be doing this in ten, twenty years time. You know, you think about Heck it yeah. like that. How much wear and tear can flesh and bone take, really? I can't think of any other player who takes advantage of electric guitar, acoustic guitar, and banjo sort of properties all within one instrument. What gauge strings are those? These are nines. Nine to 42s, I guess. Yeah, Daddario, I can't remember the set number now. Are they I a, never can when, when I order them, I can't. But I want like, some of those, you know, like I had last time. <laughs> they're like bronze, they're like acoustic strings. No, they're electric. Oh, they are electric strings. Yeah, I was playing acoustic and I was playing electric and they were very separate. And I did some acoustic stuff, uh, did quite a lot of things for the BBC, uh, late night music shows, country shows. And I ended up getting hired to play rhythm guitar for every country band in England that came down to London to do its session. Because they all shine off, you know, nobody would play rhythm. So I got hired for that gig. And I played electric in pub bands, all kinds of bands like that, just working bands. And the things were very, very different, but I wanted to bring the two things together. And eventually I just kind of ran away and hid in the instrument industry. And there I had a whole warehouse full of kit that I could play with. And uh, the boss of the company saw me pretty much the same way he saw the computer. He had no idea what it did, but he thought it was probably a good thing. <laughs> and so I could do pretty much what I liked. So long as I churned out some artist guitars or you know, made sure that guitars going out for orders were okay, I could pretty much do what I liked, and I did. So I had everything to bits, and uh, everything you can think of to bits, and rebuilt and inside out and upside down. This whole warehouse full of stuff, it was fantastic. What an opportunity, you know. And uh, a slightly dim boss. That is perfect, isn't it? <laughs> so I had a BBC session come in. I had a little Martin, and I forgot to bring it into work. And I was going down from work to do the session. This is Rose Morris, where I was working. And so I borrowed um, a Glen Campbell Ovation guitar and just ran down to the BBC and did this session. And I didn't plug it in or anything. The engineer just liked it as was. It had no real sound that was kind of a problem. There were no resonances. So he just had to stick a mic in front of it. I just had to run through the tracks and play my rhythm guitar thing for this appalling band, whoever they were. 
and it was just straight takes. So I started looking more seriously at the ovation because it worked so well in that situation. There was no coloration that interfered with what was already on the track. It just went down clean and clear. The only other thing that ever did that was a J200 I borrowed one time uh, because that had no real character of its own. It was actually stifled by its size. Uh, that was the only other guitar that did a similar job. Then I started looking at the pickup and I realized that the structure of the pickup is essentially the crystals are inside little troughs sitting on a couple of wooden rails. I had several of them to bits, of course. There's a wadge of silicon rubber over the top of that. Then there's this kind of roof fits on, and it sits on the walls of the aluminum trough. So there's no weight, there's no pressure on the strings which is the problem with all under-saddle systems, is the downward pressure of the saddle on the strings. That's where the balance goes to hell every time. It's still a nightmare now. The Ovation had this aluminum thing? Uh, it had a, an, an aluminum trough in which the crystal sat. And uh, there was a wadge of, of um, what's its name, like trailer window seal over it. Um, forgotten its name now. And the roof... So the, the crystals picked up vibration without being pressured. So you could string it absolutely how you liked, and it would produce a perfectly balanced string-to-string sound every time. It was probably the perfect functioning um, acoustic, in quotes, um, pickup. Piso pickup. Pi yes. I looked up the pronunciation, by the way. Piso, piso. You're avoiding it. I see you're avoiding that word. I, it's kind of to do with music, so I think of it as Italian, and therefore it's piezo. Yeah, thank you. That's, what, that's how I think of it, too. Yeah, but it's incorrect. So did you grab one of those and put it on yeah, that I did. instrument there? And, um, it looks like you grabbed the whole bridge and everything from yeah. the ovation in the well, that, Now, that's different now. That was a, a few stages later. <clears throat> oh, okay. Because I was uh, in repair, stroke quality control, stroke R&D, stroke fix this up for an artist, Adrian, I got access to everything that came back, um, and I had to check out damaged guitars and things and pronounce on them and say why and how they'd been damaged and whose fault it was. And it was usually the artist. I got a couple of fire-damaged Adamasis came back, and they'd been burned, really badly burned. So they were insurance write-offs, but they came back to my workshop for me to take bits off if I wanted and uh, there was another one came over that was a prototype nylon for John Williams, who was playing Ovations with Sky at that point. And we were looking after him, and I was looking after his guitars. And uh, he hated it. So it came back to me. It messed up his classical position completely. So it came back to my workshop, and they said, Here you are, Adrian, do whatever you like with it. And so I wanted the parts. So I did, uh, I think I did a trade show for those parts and the fire damage stuff. And that was the deal, I did the demo and I got paid with all these bits of wrecks. I took all the different parts and found the bits I wanted. The classical had a cutaway and I got a steel string neck off something that had uh, terrible body damage, really bad body damage. And it was one of the black walnut necks. And I put that on the, the cutaway classical thing and jiggled it all around. And that was my first working guitar. It just worked because of the pickup uh, and the whole thing. The other interesting thing I found at that point, because I had so many Adamases coming through, and then there was the Adamas II. Um, the first Adamas had uh, a black walnut neck. The Adamas II had the five-piece neck. 
and the notes were better on the black walnut neck up high they were more even they were clearer they sustained and i had um, there was absolutely nothing different about the guitars and because they were carbon fiber there was maybe some minor difference in the strutting which is something i messed about with later but i could compare the walnut necks with the standard neck and the walnut neck was just way better so then i looked it up in the timber research and development association uh, red books they had all the technical aspects of wood but they were quite dated like for instance they would measure um, they would use experience with a tug in rangoon harbor and the lining of the hawser holes for this tug and they said how long coca bolo lasted versus rosewood and stuff like that it was real old-fashioned wow. timber evaluation and they said that uh, black walnut was superior to maple and mahogany in bending and twisting along the grain and there it was but it sounded better so this is black walnut this neck and i stick with black walnut all the time it's a fabulous timber who made that neck bill puplet made this whole guitar oh, this uh, black walnut came from a, a piece of black walnut that Karen Aram, the classical maker had and he was going to make a fireplace with it but he never got round to it <laughs> so it was really old and bill bought it off him for, for this neck so this was after the ovations i went through um a whole period of experimenting with the ovations and I got terrific results all, all the time. I did um, the struts on um, an Adamus. Innovation R&D, eventually I found a guitar in the pile of dust in the corner, in wood dust and everything, that had a blistered top on the bass side and it had a fantastic sustain but no tone. And I, so I worked on an Adamus after that and I tried to achieve the same thing by unbalancing the struts. So I was making struts that overhung their footprints and they looked like elongated cartoon whales. You know, you see the whale going along the surface of the sea with the hump and the tail. And I had yeah. tails overhanging at the back and lumps overhanging at the front. And I completely unbalanced an Adamus because there's nothing else on a carbon fiber table that's going to change. It's all the, it's the same. No. So everything I did to that tone, I did with struts. And I got to a point where I achieved um, what had happened with this blistered guitar. I got an absolutely perfect sustain that would go on forever and ever, but no tone. So I mucked about on the treble side, and I thought, I need to slow down the treble side. So I put in a maybe two and a half inch long, half moon shaped strut that I made. I stuck that in, and it killed it stone dead, the sustain, but it had a beautiful thick tone. So I thought, okay, we compromised. We filed down the middle of this half moon, and that was it. I filed it down until the thing had a really nice straight acoustic guitar tone. It didn't sound like an Adamus at all. It had nice warmth in the mids and, uh, and so on. And it was all done with struts. And from that unbalancing, Bill and I came towards the idea of this body, which is essentially unbalanced. That uh, there were other considerations came in there. It had to fit in the overhead of a Boeing 777. Uh, nobody would tell us how long that was. Right. Uh, we rang them up and I kept ringing them up and saying, how long is it bulkhead to bulkhead in the Boeing 777? They said, you don't have to worry, sir. You can't bang your head at all in that plane. You can stand up wherever you like and you won't bang your head. I said, how long is it between bulkheads? Don't worry, sir. You won't bang forget it the first one i got on it had just been introduced on the transatlantic run it was the first twin to be licensed to do that run so they were being terribly nice to us so that we wouldn't look out of the windows and count the engines and panic 
<laughs> and so they put my guitar then, it was an Adamus, they put it in the first class clothes closet, no problem. I knew that wouldn't last. So I had a tape measure with me, so I measured the bulkheads, and it's 37 and a half inches bulkhead to bulkhead. That's the maximum length you can put in it. So this is 36 and a half inches. Yeah, but then, you know, then the next worry is people jamming their heavy-ass luggage on top of your... Well, you just jump up and shout at them. Yeah, but so once, you got, once you're in there, you've got possession of the, of the overhead. You know, you just you have just to fight them for it's it. It's a defensive game, though. It's Horatio <laughs> at the bridge. They shall not pass. You see him coming with their luggage. You stand up and fight them right. off. Yeah. Well, I'm just impressed that you're willing to just road dog it all the time. Traveling. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do a lot of that myself. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, we're in the middle of a tour, by the way. Your U.S. tour right now is uh, all of April up until culminating with Phoenix, May 9th. Yeah, nice Of course, warm. like tomorrow you'll be in... Santa Monica, which is right next to my house. <laughs> but ironically, I'm over here because I'm on a plane tomorrow. <laughs> Saturday the 14th, you're at Sebastopol, California. Yeah. Winters, California on the 15th. Sebastopol's where we recorded the live album last year, and that was kind of accidental. It wasn't really planned. but I love that album, Adrian Leg Live, yes. the new live album, yes. which of course came out at the end of last year. Yeah. And there's a moment on Ragged Nail where you do sort of a, a little clinic about the metronome. Maybe I could play that little bit <laughs> yeah. for it's people. True. Yeah. Uh, for my sins, which are many, I'm happy to say. <laughs> I taught for a year in a, a music school in England. We use the term music and the term school loosely in that context, but uh, there we are. And uh, I taught them a lot of right-hand things. And I eventually, after much struggle, um, I'll show you one of the things we did. That I discovered they'd been doing no practice. And uh, so I made them do this particular bit of practice. And, uh, and it went like this. It was just a simple... on and on like that except that every time somebody made a mistake I turned the metronome speed down mm -hmm. turn it down turn it down did that each class for an hour and a half <laughs> and at the end of it they knew what practice was supposed to be and they were all kind of um, tripped out because it's like a meditative thing you know they're all blissed out from doing this thing and they floated out of the classroom having been doing this mantra for an hour and a half and then floated around the rest of the school and were completely useless at the rest of their lessons <laughs> Has the metronome been part of you? I mean, you have such wonderful right-hand technique, too, in terms of your... Uh... It comes apart regularly, and I had to go back to the woodshed and work with the metronome. Um, for When I went through the midi phase, the middly modly phase, my wife called it, it was a <laughs> modeling thing, um, VG88, two of them, and a couple of synths run off a GR33. <clears throat> it was really interesting how far you could take it, but the its nemesis was actually the... Um, this beautiful PA, the French guy made them, um, well, the L acoustic. 
um, it was really difficult to get the sound because you couldn't get the really low stuff, the 30 cycle notes. You couldn't get them out of most PAs. So everything was kind of squashed into a narrower range than it needs to be. It was essentially an orchestral sound, you know. Um, its saving grace was that if you got a miss hit and the pitch to voltage went wrong, then at least you got something funny. You know, it made a noise that was funny. Um, but then I did uh, one of the Joe tours. Um, I took the MIDI stuff out. And the last L acoustic PA I hit was in Italy and it was outdoors. And the sound was perfect, right down to the floor, uh, almost down to DC. And just this perfect balance right across the frequency range from like 30 cycle notes. I was getting the low Ds and Cs, uh, the low Ds 40. Of getting down to a low C and getting a perfect bass sound out of this PA. And you could hear all the detail in the violins and all the modeling and everything, you know, it was gorgeous. And I thought, it's never going to sound this good again. And I got rid of it all. Wow. <laughs> it was just, it will never be that good ever again. <laughs> it was so perfect, you just had to move on. Yes, yes, Amazing. exactly. You can't, can't suffer it, the inferior version of it after that, you know. The ground well, moved. 30 cycle notes, the earth moves. Really? That's yeah. great. Some of your tunes, like Mrs. Crow's Blue Waltz, has that low note. What is that low bass well, that note? That low C is, um, is it 60, 62 cycles around there? Is it just a regular, I mean, the extra fat low six string on your guitar? No, you just what? don't hit it hard. That's all. You just hit it gently with flesh. Because obviously, if you hit it really hard, it like go sharp when they're that loose. Oh, it'll wow all over the place, yeah. Um, this isn't acoustic anymore. Right. So essentially, what I wanted from the acoustic came with the, the piezo piezo pickups, piezo pickups. And that was about harmonic content. But what I really wanted was an electric that would take aspects from the, the acoustic, like the harmonic spread, and the flexibility of an electric. I, mean, I can go and do a bar gig with this, and they can shout all night, and I can still be heard, because I can turn it up. And yeah. I've done that. I've played a couple of noisy bars where I had people who'd come to see me. And one of them, there was a police wake going on on the other side. These policemen were all getting drunk and making a terrible racket, and nobody can tell them to shut up, you know, because the policemen, they just lost a colleague, and they were having a, a drinky on his, uh, for his memory. And so I said to the guys in the front, do you mind if I turn it up loud? What do you want? I can turn it up loud and you'll be able to hear it and they'll probably eventually leave. And I said, yeah, turn it up. So we turned it up really loud. And the same thing with another bar in Cleveland, Ohio. The thirsty ear, it was just really, really noisy. And the guys had come to hear me and the other guys had come to drink and talk. So I said, you know, what should we do? I can turn this up if you want. So I did. And at the end of it, all the people been shouting all the way through came out and said, that was fantastic, we really enjoyed it. I said, but you shouted all the way through? Yeah, but that's what we do, we loved it. Think, okay, fine. But you can't do that with a regular acoustic, you're screwed. 
if you're right. going to get a nice tone off an acoustic with all the pickups and everything else that make it pretty much an electric, you need a nice room, you need a good engineer, you need a nice balanced PA. You can compromise down and down and down, but you can't do a bar. You cannot do a bar with an acoustic. It will just feed back as soon as you try it. So, you know, the idea was I wanted that harmonic content, but I want an instrument that's flexible enough to work in a bar or a concert hall. But the bar is really important because that's where a lot of music works, you know. I think it's important to be able to do them. I guess I'm still also impressed that you are willing to just play bars all over. You know, you do theaters too, of course, and sometimes you open for... Like, did you do the G3 yeah. thing? Like, opening for Satriani and stuff? And yeah, oh, it was just me and Joe and Steve in Britain because Eric couldn't get the finance from his record company to come. That's fantastic. But mm. So you do all this stuff, but you're also willing to, you but know, get in a rental car. Easy. So you're going on a stage with a huge PA, with a really good engineer, with a huge rack of EQ. They're really easy to do. You just hand it all over to the engineer and he will deliver whatever you do at whatever level is needed. It's when you get into the bar, you've got to be able to do for yourself and you've got quite often you've got to fight it out you know, yeah at volume levels and i still think bars are really important to do because that's kind of it's kind of roots man isn't it yeah. you know <laughs> it's roots music you go and play in a bar that's where we all start then and, and we, i think we have to go back to it well you really again. enjoy playing live i mean you really enjoy yeah. talking and connecting with the crowd and yeah. how does that all play out for you because I mean, music is um one of the most important social experiences we can have it is a social thing we need we play music for each other um before recording that's what we did recording came and then we started wrapping it up in little envelopes and posting it to people you know that's how the music is delivered through several more stages um, but when you play live it's there and then you can see what's happening you know if you've got it right or you've got it wrong and you can change it a little to fit in and you can communicate because you can see the people you're communicating with. And I think that's the crucial thing about music. That's what it is. It's how we communicate with each other emotionally. That's all it is. You know, it's emotional communication, not necessarily with language. You don't need language. You know, you can see a child respond to music. It's innate. You play a child a tuner and it will go all soft and soppy and it will relate so that that kind of music is innate and it's a live form i think i think we've yeah. gone desperately wrong and i think the putting it into packets enabled the commodification of music and the commodification enabled the destruction of the wages that we used to get from commodifying because it meant you could steal it and put it out anywhere in its little packet you know live you've got to be able to play there and then and communicate and that's what music is yep nothing like the real thing no baby and then of course <laughs> you know yeah music math the two universal languages and regardless of yes. what other spoken language we speak yes but um, you don't have to be clever to understand math to, to understand music it will it will just hit you emotionally or not i think that's how you tell it right. I, I mean you know you play some music did you feel anything no, it was like a good dentist. That's not music. <laughs> if you felt something, you had to go away discreetly, blow your nose, then it works. You know. Well, you, yeah. You know, if you're embarrassed by crying in front of people, <laughs> then you know. Uh, I know you get you get on rolls too live. You get you have some funny stories and stuff talking about like how alcohol is and <laughs> people getting drunk is subsidizing the arts and stuff. And <laughs> it was, wasn't it? <laughs> talking about falling in love with the CNN reporter who's on every night in your hotel room <laughs> oh, that was ages ago i've forgotten her name i was listening to your live albums you have these great stories 
And that's, I love that storytelling banter part of it. If you could, maybe just briefly, how did you even like get into playing music and guitar? Were your parents musical? And how did oh, yes. you end up with the six string as your main instrument? It was church choir uh, from a young age, and it was a good church choir. It was uh, hymns ancient and modern, which was um, the old English hymnal, uh, and it was four part. And it was a good enough choir to have the four parts. So every time I squeaked a note, it was in a harmonic context, and the other guys doing the harmony were all around me. And then as my voice started to go, I moved to do the alto or the tenor. And uh, so I had a different angle on the harmonic structure of a piece, and I was doing part of it. And I think that singing bit is really is quite important because it gets it in you physically. You, it's a whole physical thing, singing, you know. So you're physically engaged in a harmonic context with And your people. father was the uh, choir director? Or? Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And your mom, obviously, was she was a... She was a, a soprano, and they oh, did amateur stuff. Um, so that was always going on. It was always classical. And I joined orchestras. I joined the school orchestra and the county orchestra and the town orchestra. And that's the same thing. You're sitting there with your instrument. In my case, it was an oboe. You're in charge of your line, and it's got to fit in with everybody else's line. So you're in the middle of this harmonic structure, and you're doing a part of it, and you have to hear everybody else around you so that your bit works. And I think that was priceless. No, but I wanted to, uh, Hank Marvin happened, you know, and he had glasses and he was a kind of goofy looking guy. And I thought, well, he can do that and be glamorous. I can do it too. Oh, yeah. he's so great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for those, I feel like he's one of the most under-celebrated guitar heroes. Obviously for people from England and stuff, yeah. they knew of him way more. I hear his name comes up so much. Yes. But... For us here I in think America. It, it was the tone. I, I mean, the Ventures were great. I listened to the Ventures, and there was Lonnie Max Wham and stuff like that. But nobody had tone like Hank. It was just this lovely, clear, clean Fender tone. It was the perfect Strat tone, I thought. Uh, it's tremendously cheesy to look back on it now and see the, the little walk and everything. And it was actually very simple guitar playing, but it was melodic, it had a beautiful tone, it had rhythm, it was nicely structured. Very simple and very yeah. accessible because of that. You could play it, you know, and that yeah. was important too. You could learn foot tap or Apache. What was one of the Hank Marvin or Shadow songs that really floated your boat back then that you really loved? I liked foot tap. <laughs> do a little bit of um, of Siobhan. I like Siobhan. I need to sort my nails out, so. Siobhan is the test of nails. If they're not absolutely perfect, it trips up, so. Well, I'm honored to have you test your nails out on No Guitar Is Safe podcast. (laughs) Thank you for doing the show, Adrian. My pleasure, Jude. Thank you for having me. You make me think. (laughs) Ouch.
that's awesome. He's got the capo up at about the fifth fret. Just love the way Adrian plays. Thank you, Adrian. I'm talking over you. You know what to do, folks. Keep it alive to you. 95. Write a nice review on iTunes. Check out Guitar Player Magazine and guitarplayer.com. Check out Zoom Recorders. My name is, again, Jude Gold. Thanks for listening. See you soon.